What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right. Um, Here's a question for you. Is there a divine passion that is in your life, a thing that just moves you? The Apostle Paul said, there is this one thing that I do, one thing that I do. And during this time of year, a lot of us, we kind of look and we do New Year's resolutions and we kind of look at our life. And I just want to do that with us this morning as a church because the reality is statistics say by February, 80% of you, not me, you, will have, I'm just kidding, by February, 80% of the people that make these resolutions have already quit. All right? Now, listen. That's not who we are, though. We're the body of Christ. And so I want to put this before you. Um, Three out of ten Americans make New Year's resolutions. Why three out of ten? I was thinking about that. It's probably because people are like, yeah, I did that before. I ain't doing that anymore. And I, and I actually meet, meet believers that are like, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. That's a waste of time. I, you know. Hey, Grinch, listen up, all right? It is very, very wise for us to, Scripture says, number our days. Scripture says to redeem the time, to look at your life with wisdom and really think through, hey, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my why? What is that thing that God has placed in me where there is this divine passion that I want to move with him? And the reality is, many of us, we don't have that why. We don't have that thing. Here are some things, uh, Kevin, if you could just throw up. It's what people are kind of going to be working on. 50% of people are going to exercise more. Hey, we know that ain't going to happen, right? Um, Saving money, eat healthy, lose weight. You see the the spirit? I don't like that little picture there, by the way, but um, spiritual growth, 28%. These are things that people just, you know, they kind of want to do, but the reality is, man, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen, and... And and today I want to talk about five things that stop these things from happening. Five things, all right? Um, And before I do that, uh, the first one really is there is no passion, there is no uh, vision from God that really is a passion that drives you. There's just not a divine purpose in your life that God has just placed upon you so that you move with it with an intention, with a vision, with a mission, so that there's methods that will help you accomplish what is on your heart, what is on my heart. There's no fire. William Wilberforce was 28 years old when he wrote this in his journal on October the 28th, 1787. He says, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Now, he accomplished both of those things, uh, the reformation of manners he's not really famous for, but it's an interesting study. By the way, he's one of the greatest men of all time, strong believer in Christ. Most people don't even know who William Wilberforce is, which is sad. Now, he said that he was going to suppress the slave trade. This is this great object that God has given me, one of the two. Now, why was this unique in 1787? Why was it unique? Well, here's a question for you, and feel free to Google it if you want. When did Ethiopia end slavery? Does anybody know? Somebody Google it. (laughs) 
When did they end slavery? Somebody's talking it in. You're, that's cheating. You can't talk it in in church. 1942. Think about that for a second. Ethiopia ended slavery in 1942. Now, how many of you have uh, ever heard America was built on the backs of slavery? Ever heard that one? Right? Yeah, it's part of what they're indoctrinating our, our kids with, unfortunately, in schools. Here's, here's the, that now, now is there some truth that's there? There's some truth that's there, but it's truth that is uh, prefaced in a way apart from the reality of the rest of the world. So again, when did Ethiopian slavery? 19 what? 42. The entire world for 5,000 years built their economy and nation on the backs of slaves. It was a norm. And because we don't teach world history anymore, we focus on the imperfections of our little nation. We have no idea. I mean, some of you are still shocked. Wait a minute, 1942, is that right? I got to look that up. Yeah, 1942, Ethiopia stopped slavery in their country. So William Wilberforce saying in 1787 that he's going to stop slavery and the slave trade was something divine because every other country in the world had slaves. And it had been that way for 5,000 years. It was the norm. And he was doing something and called to do something abnormal. If you will, heavenly, if you will, a divine purpose. The idea of human civilization without slavery was unimaginable at his time. Nobody even questioned it. It's, we look at it now and we're like, man, how did that happen? But then nobody even questioned it because it's just how things were. Forty-six years later, Three days before William Wilberforce died, on July 26, 1833, there was a bill passed in the House of Commons to abolish slavery in Great Britain. Forty-six years later, William Wilberforce was in politics the bills that he was pushing continued year after year after year to get voted down. It was some 20 years where, where there was just failure. And it wasn't until 46 years later that they got rid of and they freed all of the slaves. And they paid, the government paid their owners money so that the slaves could go free. Forty-six years. Three days before he died, the very thing that he has felt this divine passion to do, he helped accomplish. It was his leadership. It was his directives. It was him selling the vision to a group of community that was also known as the saints, they bought a parcel of land in the suburbs, if you will, and they all met together and prayed together and prayed about ways we could begin to transform the way that our nation thinks about slavery. Because his heart was not only to save the oppressed, but to also save the oppressor from himself, to change mindsets. He was a very hated man, but he came, became one of the most beloved men because he stood in that place of righteousness and he had a passion from God, this divine passion for his life that moved him to a place 
where he did unbelievable things, this, this, these things for God. Listen, the first African-American college in the United States of America was named after William Wilberforce, a white dude from Britain. Why? It's because the view, the view that people had of him. Frederick Douglass said this, William Wilberforce's faith, persistence, and enduring enthusiasm had thawed the British heart into sympathy for the slave, and it moved the strong arm of that government in mercy to put an end to this bondage. One man challenged the heart of a nation to move the government to put an end to that abomination that was going on. One man with a passion and with a determination. So my question for you, is there a divine passion in your life sparked by God? Is there something that you can put your finger on that he's called you to do? And some of us, like William Wilberforce, might be called into the political arena. And, and, and there's this, like, this thing I, I don't, I don't, that, that I, I believe it's the enemy has deceived the church into, oh, we don't need to talk about politics. Well, yeah, we do. And, and here's why. Last time I checked, in fact, what's one of the verses that's popular this past week? Isaiah 9, 6, the government will be what? Upon his shoulders. So listen, if you're ever going to change anything in government, you better be walking with the one who has his government on his shoulders so that you can bring a right kind of government into play. That's what William Wilberforce did. He didn't check out. He didn't say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's political. I don't want to touch that. No, justice, truth, and righteousness, this is what we bring to the table as the people of God. Do you know, it's just some more American history for you, by the way, the state of Massachusetts would not allow anyone to run in public government, this is in their bylaws, by the way, you can go check it out, unless they were a Christian. Massachusetts? Yeah, Massachusetts. Oh, man, wow, have we fallen. It's kind of like nobody can run if you're, if, you, if you're a Christian. You can't run now in Massachusetts. We have the Holy Spirit, guys. We are the light of the world. We have the truth, and there is no other. William Wilberforce, he had a passion to end some evil, and he did it through the church, but also through government. There's no separation. There's no separation. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So if you're taking note, here's the first of the five. One of the, one of, one of the five reasons why these resolutions fail, it's because of this. There's not a divine passion for the vision that you're moving in. There's not a divine passion. Look, when I hear people say, I need to start exercising or I have to start eating better, I just kind of think in my mind, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I've just seen it way too many times. person that needs to start, but they haven't started, probably isn't going to start. I thought that was funny. There's not a divine passion. There's a very low possibility of someone actually doing something if they're not doing it already. They, there's a, a, a friends of ours, I won't mention any names, but, um, and they don't go to this church, so don't try to figure it out. Uh, the wife, for 20 years, was a strong believer and was praying for the husband, who was just kind of a nominal believer. And in the prayer groups, oh, if my husband would just lead me in a Bible study, if my husband would just, I mean, nobody, no wives ever do that here, right? And so um, he has a heart attack. And all of a sudden, revival breaks out in his life, so much so hey, we're selling our home in this nice community and we're moving here, we're doing this, we're downsizing here, we're selling this and here's what we're gonna do. And the prayer request from the wife, um, he's just becoming too radical. He needs to slow down. I have... Anyway. True story. 
Dallas Willard says this, he's like, and by the way, he's just way more eloquent than me. He's the C.S. Lewis of America. But I'm just going to give it to you like I give it to you, okay? Hey, people don't change unless something tragic happens, drastic happens. Listen, you guys know I've struggled with gout in my feet, okay? When I get gout, what happens? Everything veg, no carbs, no bread. I eat good. I eat healthy. People are like, Chris, you look so good. Yeah, I got this pain that I'm trying to get rid of. But when that's gone, bring on the... Anyway. So people don't change unless, unless something kind of happens, right? And and we've got, to be, we've got to be aware of that as people, that we're just not making rash things like, oh, I, need to do, I know I need to do this, or I should do this, or I probably should do this, but that it's, a, it's, it's coming from a place where there potentially is, like the Apostle Paul, this encounter with God on the road to Damascus, this burning bush situation where I feel like God is leading me. And listen, church, a lot of us, right, those are two instances that happen in the Bible and we're like, well, that kind of stuff never happens to me. Well, put your finger on the Bible and say, okay, God, you're no respecter of persons. If you did it there, can you do it for me? Don't, do not bring the Bible down to your experience. Ask God for the faith to bring your experience up to where the Bible is. Because we want to be people that move with a divine passion. I want you to turn to Acts 13, please. I think I just set a record, by the way, of talking without turning to the Bible. So that's, that's good stuff. It's bad stuff. <laughs> this is why I like going through books of the Bible, by the way. Not topical, but anyway. Acts 13, Acts 13. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he has that road to Damascus moment. You see, in Acts chapter 12, he's at Antioch, and Barnabas is kind of discipling him and ministering with him. But then, uh, well, let me pick it up, Verse thir- uh, chapter 13, 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manahin, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. You might want to highlight that. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... What you don't hear in this text is that they're worshiping the Lord and fasting so that they can have a divine purpose to do. This is important for us. Now, your point number one, Chris, is I need to have a divine, right? Yeah, we, we, we should, but listen, listen. Our divine purpose has already been given to us by Jesus. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they were fasting with a pure heart, worshiping with a pure heart, seeking the face of God, not because they wanted something, just because he alone is worthy. And out of that pure heart devotion came the call. And a lot of us just want, we want to know what you made me to do, God. Just tell me what you want me to do, God. And Jesus says this, just like he, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but Mary chose what is best, being at my feet, to worship and adore. I want you to go to Acts chapter 20, please, a few pages over. Verse 24 of Acts 20, it says, I don't count my life of of any value. 
the translation I memorized, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Worth nothing to me. If only I may finish my course. So he had a course. And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. You might want to highlight that. He received it from the Lord Jesus. So, so again, why a lot of these resolutions don't work is because it's things that I should do. This is what I probably ought to do. Oh, yeah, I need to do this. I need to do that. No, 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 no. Listen, that we worship, that we, that we love God with our whole heart until he fills us with a place where he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. There's a worshiping and a waiting on the Lord, and Paul received his ministry from Jesus to testify of the gospel of God's grace. And so, practically, God, how can I love you more this year? How can I love you more this year? What are some things that I can do to love you more, to adore? Come, let us adore him. How can I... What is there I can do? What does that look like? You know, you know for me, uh, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm listening uh, through the Bible in 90 days. So, so I'm, 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 I'm exercising and I'm listening to the Bible as I'm exercising. I just got through Job, by the way. That was a little hard because, anyway. Um, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm in the Psalms now. And... It just struck me as I'm listening to the Psalms. You have set your face against your enemies. You've shot your arrows and you've scattered them by, by your fire. You routed them. And it's just all this stuff of what God is going to do to his enemies. And I'm like, man, God, take it easy. But then I sat there and I'm like, no, 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 God is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And then I started thinking about Jesus. This is why listening's not good to me, because I'll drift off for a chapter, and then I'll come back to the next chapter anyway. But I believe it was God on my drift. Because I thought about Jesus, and he was the word that became what? Flesh. What does that mean? Do you ever think about that? What does that mean, that word that became flesh? Jesus' life was so aligned with the word of God that he believed every single word. That's why he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, hey, nothing is going to pass away, not one jot, not one jot. Whoever relaxes one of these uh, laws and commandments, they're going to be least in the kingdom. Don't do that. So Jesus had a high view of God's word. He was the word that became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But here, here's what just kind of hit me. Jesus really believed completely all those verses in the Psalms that God is going to destroy his enemies. He's going he's to overthrow his enemies. He's going to punish. He's going to bring justice. And because he believed that, he never had to respond to his accusers. He could bless his enemies and say, Father, forgive them because I know what's going to happen to them. I know what is coming for them. And there's a compassion as he looked over the crowds that are helpless, harassed, sheep without a shepherd. He believed the word completely. He walked in it. He was the word that became flesh. And because he believed that word, he walk different than we walk. And let me just say to you, mo most of us don't believe the word. We know that it's the word of God. It's true, right? Uh, but it shows if we really believe it by how we walk it out. And so Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my what? My commands, my word. And so... Again, God, how can I love you more this season? Is there this divine passion in my life that moves me? I want to be moved by pure motive. I don't want to just do good things. 
And sometimes we've heard this, the enemy of the best is often the good. I just don't, I, I, I want to I be led by you, God. I want to move with a passion. Would you put that in me, please, God? Would you show me, God? All right, the second reason why these resolutions fail is this, is we attempt to do things apart from God. We attempt these changes apart from God. Jesus said what? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So when we just say, hey, I'm going to write down these things, this is what I want to do, and we, we, we attempt to do them apart from God, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15.10, please. And I want you to just, just remember this great salvation that we are walking in, it didn't come because we made a decision, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Listen, you can't decide to follow Jesus, and you can't decide to not turn back. You have come to him because he's chosen you. He's chosen you. Jesus, he makes this very, very clear. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can't just go to God. It is only through grace that you can come. In fact, we are saved by grace through we're saved by faith through grace, right? So, so this is a gift from God. We cannot boast about this. In John 6, 65, Jesus says this, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by my Father. And Paul understood that. Paul understood that, which is why he penned 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And you might want to highlight this. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We get in trouble when we think we have to do stuff. We get in trouble when we forget about the gospel and the grace of God. Just as you have received him, so walk in him. How did I receive him? By faith through grace. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Jesus himself in John 8 says this, I only do the things that please the Father. And so for us, man, God, it is you that's at work in me. This is for your good pleasure. So if there's any changes in my life that you're calling me to make, I'm not going to try to muster it up in my own strength, but I'm going to trust in your grace. And here's another Dallas Willard quote that I like, but again, it's my broken down language. The power to do what I cannot do when it comes time to do it. Grace it's often defined as undeserved favor, but, which is true. We, we don't deserve God's favor in our life. But I like this because it's kind of more practical where it is the power to do what I cannot do when it comes time to do it. If God is calling me to do something, I first have to acknowledge that I am not good enough. I am not strong enough because it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord, and that I begin to rest on his grace. I begin to walk and call on his power because apart from him, I can do nothing. It is his grace that is working in me and through me so I'm depending upon him. Paul wasn't great. The Apostle Paul wasn't great. God's grace was. And as he walked in God's grace, he became great. So the second reason is 
Why these things don't work is we attempt to do these changes apart from God, forgetting that apart from Christ you can do nothing. Beware of your tendency, disciple, to say, God, show me what to do, and I'm going to go do it. Careful of that. No, God, I I need you, or I'm not going to be able to do this. The third reason why resolutions fail is because new habits and practices are not formed. So we know the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different what? Results. And so there's no new habit that's formed. There's no new practice that's formed. Let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 9, 23. It should be just a a few pages over from where you were in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 9, 23, 9, 23. And so here the Apostle Paul, he he declares some things here. He says, "I I do it all. 1 Corinthians 9.23, for the sake of the gospel. So again, you see this passion. You see uh, this, this uh, divine purpose that he was walking in. He does it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so the Apostle Paul is saying... I have disciplined my body. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, you can read it at your own time, but it gives a definition of discipline. Discipline is training in righteousness, training in righteousness. And so, man, there are things in my life that I'm going to have to form as far as new habits if I want to be like this. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, where he's talking about, hey, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into this in, in Philippians 4, 8, where whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, anything, think on these things, right? But then he gets to verse 9, and this is what he says in Philippians 4. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. There needs to be a habitual practice that you're putting in place because this is what God is calling me to do, and so I'm just not going to get there. It's like, you know, young people, like we we had, um, oh, was that wide receiver that came? I forget his name. Larry. Larry Fitzgerald came and spoke to the kids, right? So, a lot of, lot of little kids were saying, I want to be in the NFL. I want to be in the NFL. I want to be in the NFL. The reality is most people don't want to put in the time, the energy, the effort, the sacrifice to be able to do what it takes to be in the NFL. And so the Apostle Paul here, he's saying, man, I, I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He put things into practice. He put things into place. Now, some practical tips for you about forming new habits. Um, There's a book that I read um, by James Clear called Habits. And one of the things that jumped out at me, and it jumped out at me, I I didn't take it because I didn't think it was from God, but um, my jokes are not landed at all today. I haven't done it, okay? So it's like, if you want to start doing push-ups, right, you just don't start by doing 100 push-ups. You go down on Monday, and you do one push-up. And then on Tuesday, do one push-up. Then on Wednesday, do one push-up. And you're kind of like, dude, that's kind of lame. But he says, it's not about you doing the push-up. It's about you forming the habit. Forming the habit. And he says, what's going to happen is, after a week and you're still doing one push-up, you loser. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
you're going to be like, okay, maybe I can knock out two push-ups. And you start doing two push-ups, you know? And so, again, it's not about the push-ups. It's about building the habit. And so, man, Christian, can I, can I just challenge you? Sometimes we in the church, we try to do way too much, myself included. My wife should be saying, hallelujah, amen. Can I, you know, can I get a witness? But um, listen, if it is you saying, you know what, I just want to take one verse a week, and I want to put that thing on my fridge. I want to put it as a focus on my phone where alarm goes off, and I'll just sit for five minutes every day and just meditate on that one verse. You're going to begin to see your love for the Word of God begin to grow so that it's not a have to do more, it's a want to do more because you're going to taste and see that God is good. And so that's a real low bar. I, I, I love this um, story about a guy, guys were sitting around, and sometimes guys can be a little braggadocious about, you know, what they're doing for the Lord. Um, and one guy was like, yeah, I'm memorizing 50 verses this year. Oh, me, man, I'm memorizing 75, man. Me, me I'm, I'm going to do a verse a day. I'm going to have 365. And then they come to this one dude, how much are you going to do? Seven. What? Seven? Get out of our discipleship. No, I didn't say that. Seven? Why seven? I'm only doing seven because I, I, w- I want to live them all. I want to live them all. I want to live them all. And so what new habits can you form this year, Christian, that are birthed by God, that he's calling you to do? And by the way, remember we did that 5K? We're going to have a barbecue for that, I promise. It's coming for those who ran it. But I didn't run the 5K. You want to know why? Because I started training like two weeks out, and I, and I pulled something, and then I couldn't run. But anyway, I'm back now, though. I've been running, so next year. Anyway, all right, no, 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 number four, number four, the reason why um, uh, resolutions don't work is you have to stop doing things. So if you're going to start doing something new, you have to stop. It makes sense, don't it? But we, a lot of times we don't even think through that. So if I'm going to start something new, I've got to stop something else. So Kevin, if you go ahead and throw up on that screen, uh, some of us really, really, really like news a lot, so much so that we watch a couple hours of it every single night. But what if you can do something new? And by the way, uh, this is a, a good website where just five minutes, three times a week, they'll send you news that you need to know. And maybe you can relax, re- release being a news junkie and just be satisfied with a little update three days a week. Anyway, I know I probably just said some strongholds. You might want to come January 8th to the uh, Spiritual Warfare Club. Um, but if you are going to start something new, something needs to stop. I want you to turn to, first, uh, to Philippians 3, please. Philippians 3. In order for the Apostle Paul, so we're kind of looking at Paul's life and why he was like he was, right? And we see all these attributes that I'm giving you, are, are, we see them displayed in Paul's life. And so we have to stop doing some things. In order for Paul to walk in the fullness of God of what called him to be and do, he had to stop doing something. And we pick it up here in Philippians chapter 3 where he's confessing, this is what I had to quit doing. Philippians 3, verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And I want you to highlight that. So Paul didn't have any confidence in his flesh. He didn't have any confidence that if he had five resolutions, he would be able to do them. All of his confidence was in God, and he had to change his mindset. He had to change his philosophy. He had to change his former manner of life so that he would walk in the fullness of what God had called him into. And so let's pick it up here. The, the, the main thing he had to do is he had to quit putting any confidence in the flesh. And he had two manifestations of this that are listed in this text. 
The first one is this, verse 4. Though I myself has reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So the first thing that he had to get rid of to walk in the fullness of God and what God called him to is that he could not put any pride in his ethnicity that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, that he was a Hebrew. He had to realize that he brings nothing to the table and that brings nothing to the table and all, all of my hope and all of my trust for who I am is, needs to be in God and God alone. That's the first thing that had to go. He could not put any confidence in the flesh. None. Second thing, we see it here as it continues in verse 5. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So the second reason why Paul had pride and confidence in his flesh was because he obeyed the law. He was a Pharisee, right? He was a religious leader. And he used to take great pride in that, but God said, hey, no more can you depend on that. What, is, what, it, what happens now in our modern day? Well, I have this degree, I have that degree, I have this so that I'm qualified. Listen, when you think like that, when you view things like that, all of a sudden you're disqualified because your confidence is in your flesh, not in the Holy Spirit. If I came up here today and I said, man, man, I've, I've, I've put in X amount of hours, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and this is going to be an amazing message, guess what? No. No. Some of you are like, you should have put way more time into it, buddy. It's really not that good. But listen, my confidence is not in my performance. My confidence is in the presence of God. Because if he doesn't give, we don't have If he doesn't give today, we don't have. Look at verse 7. Whatever I had gained, I count it loss. No more confidence in my flesh. I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish or dung in order that I may gain Christ. He wanted to be found in Christ and nothing else. No confidence in the flesh. So what is God calling you to stop doing? What is calling God calling you to get rid of this year, right? So in Acts chapter 19, what did they do? They burned their books. They got rid of the things that were hindering their life with God. And a lot of times... We're not willing to get rid of things and take things off of what we're currently doing in our life so that the new habits can begin to form. If you try to add a new habit on and you don't get rid of anything, you're probably going to spring back into that insanity thing where you're going to not complete what God's called you to do. I never forget this one night, pre-Christ, by the way, uh, me and my buddies, we were sitting around drinking a few beers, and uh, one of my friends said, you know the difference between us right now and Mike, and this guy Mike went on to play Division One basketball, he was really, really good, and my buddy's like, the difference between Mike and us is Mike right now, he's at the basketball courts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're, hey, anyway. So, so guys, listen, something has to come off. Something has to come off. So what is God call, stopping you to do? Point number five, and then I'm done, all right? And this is a big one for the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, there is no community with accountability established. There's a lot of community sometimes in the body of Christ where it's a kumbaya community. But I'm talking about a community with accountability, I want you to turn to Galatians 2, please. Galatians 2. I don't need accountability. A lot of people believe they don't need accountability, but Galatians 2, then hopefully I'll change your mind today. The word will. Galatians 2.11. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, and by the way, Cephas, Peter, 
Peter, the Apostle Peter, and Paul is talking here, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, again, that's Peter, before them all, though you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? And so here's the deal. Peter's that guy who preached and 3,000 people got saved. Peter's that guy who's walking down the road and when his shadow fell on somebody, they were healed. And if Peter needed someone to get up in his grill and hold him accountable, how much more do we need that? How much more do we need that, church? I need that. You need that. And a lot of times we walk out of... uh, uh, places like this on a Sunday, and, and, and we're walking out without, okay, God, this is, and, and again, this is why we, and, and, and we're about to do this now, okay, because I'm almost done here. I'm landing the plane. It's coming in for a landing. We do songs at the end so you can sit before God and say, okay, God, what, what can I apply to my life? What is it that you're calling me to do? Like some of us, the point, what has to go? Like you already know what that is. Some of us, what new habits? You believe God is calling you to do X, Y, and Z? You know, you need to pray about that. You need to think about that more, right? But, 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 but if you don't tell somebody about it, the likelihood that that's just going to get put on the shelf and never picked up again is very, very high. So I was, I don't mean to put you on blast, Ronnie, but I'm going to, okay? So um, Ronnie's in 516, and one of the things that he said when he came in, because you memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and 516, right? Um, is it okay if I tell the story? Okay, thanks, Ronnie, because I'm already there. I can't pull it back now, so thanks, bro. Which, by the way, everybody says it. Even Joseph Wilson III said it, but anyway. Um, there's no way I can memorize three chapters in the Bible. And that is a core belief. Um, People believe that. They say that. There's just no way I can do it. And then after we see everybody memorize all of chapter 5, guess what? That lie, that stronghold is broken. And, and, And here's the thing. Here's the thing. How does it happen? When we started 516 years ago, we learned because the challenge was, hey, we're going to memorize this, but there was never any accountability. So guess what? Most people didn't do it. But then we added accountability like, hey, we're going to quiz you every single morning. There's actually consequences if you don't memorize it. And all of a sudden, People start memorizing, and they become good at memorizing because they're doing it in the midst of community, connected to accountability. Does that make sense? So, Weight Watchers, okay? You pay your money, you go every week, there's a group of people, and everybody's looking at your scale. At least I've heard. But it works because the community's there with accountability. In the body of Christ, we don't do that. We don't do that. William Wilberforce did that. So much so, he met with people and they prayed together. And when he was about to quit because Parliament, it kept getting voted down to end the slave trade year after year after year, and he was going to quit. He was going to walk away. In fact, John Newton, who, who uh, wrote Amazing Grace, he was a slave trader. He, he was captain of slave ships, and he trafficked in that, but he became a Christian, and he lived the rest of his life trying to abolish the slave 
uh, slavery, he actually spoke into William Wilberforce when William Wilberforce wanted to quit and said, you cannot quit. This is what God's called you to do. And without community in his life, William Wilberforce wouldn't have done what God had called him to do. So here's the thing. Church, what is the divine passion? Divine passion, what is God birthing you to do? And now, listen, listen, what are the habits? What are the things you got to stop doing? Understand you're walking in grace that you can't do it apart from God. But this last step, man, if, if, if things are going to change this year in your life, you need to bring what God is leading you to do before somebody like Ronnie saying, Ronnie, hold me accountable. This is what God is calling me to do. Will you pray for me? And would you ask me every single week, I need you. I need you. And guys, if we do this, we're going we're to have an amazing year this year. If you apply these five things to your life, man, I believe you're going to see the kingdom come, his will be done, and he'll be glorified. So, worship team, come on up. Father, we thank you for this time where we can just open up your word and just kind of be reminded as we look forward to this new year of 2020, I pray, Father, that you would just cause our, our flock this is your flock, God. This is, these are the sheep of your pasture, God. We are following you, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would just strengthen your people, that they would do the things, God, that you are calling them to do. Not what they feel like they should or what other people say they should do. Not the have-tos, but may it be a birthing, a passion, that comes from you, that comes through your grace. We ask for your help, God. As we walk through this life with you, that we would live in such a way that brings you glory and that brings you honor. God, I pray for the weary soul that doesn't think they can change. pray, God, that you would just remind him that you are here. You are here. And you want to take their hand because you love them. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and how you came down to save sinners like us. That you became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And we glory in your cross today. We rest in your love today. And we ask, God, that you would just help us to worship you and sing to you and give you what you deserve because you gave so much to us and continue to do so. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.